Hello and welcome to another episode of Who La La. I'm Sam. And I'm Alistair. And if this is your first time listening, we are two queer besties who love all things Doctor Who. And today we're doing something a little different on the podcast. We wanted to dedicate an entire episode to chatting about fan culture, being a part of the Doctor Who community and what it means to all of us. Yes, we'll be looking at all aspects of Who fandom from its queer fan base to conventions and online culture. And who better to do that with than a huge presence in the online Who community, Ethan Posford. Hi, Ethan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> God, thank you for joining us. Very nice to have you. I mean, huge presence in the online community. It's, it, <laughs> it sort of feels funny to hear that, but um, okay. <laughs> Doesn't, does that feel like an insult? Does that feel like we're saying you're too online? Um, like, kind of like it, 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 it is one of those things I feel like just all happens by accident. Like, um, literally, um, all I've done is just chat about Doctor Who a lot on my Twitter, and somehow it's just... Um, people seem seems to care enough to want to want to read about it. <laughs> yeah, we, we we were saying the other day we love what I'm loving at the moment is you're doing your rewatch of all of Russell T Davies era, like leading up to the six year specials, and genuinely like it's better than like our rewatches because <laughs> like you have all the clips that you've recorded as well for it, and it's just like we were saying that we'll see you post about an episode and we'll be like, oh yeah, that yeah. was a really good episode, wasn't it? <laughs> but uh, I loved your your little rewatch to series one. Like there were some points that I admit I did sort of end up stealing for the um for the thread but um but i mean only because because i know that the sort of kind of i sort of went into my sub- subconscious here that's like ah that, that like, like that totally changed the way i see these stories but yeah. yeah so yeah i'm towards the end of series three now just about to watch last of the time lords and then it'll be I think Sarah Jane Adventure series one because I'm doing the spin-offs as well. I'm I'm mm. I'm that dedicated to it, but I love it. <laughs> What's been your favourite so far? Good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I think there's some stories where like um, like as a kid um, you'll enjoy them, but then but then you, you'll sort of fall into the hole of of criticising them um, because they sort of cool, become cool to, to criticise them online. Like say the sort of thing people went through with say Love and Monsters, for instance. Mm-hmm. But um, like I like I I say, New Earth is sort of a, a, an example of that where I enjoyed it as a kid, but then it sort of became cool to criticize online. But now I'm just like, you no, know, it's 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 a fun camp episodes. Um, um, that, <laughs> that, that 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 is just bonkers. Like, yes, some of the logic is a bit um flawed. Like, I mean, to me, it's it's a, it's it's a plot resolution where it's like put all the medicines it, it, um in one thing and it cures everyone. Like that's my mm. only issue. But aside from that, I'd say it's it's a great episode. You know, it's it's um it's a, it's a very fun story, really, and it really you know stretches the acting chops of both David and Billy. Like um um like I I just love how Cassandra pretty much just like yassifies um David. <laughs> oh, I'm beating out a samba. <laughs> beating out a samba, baby. No, I know it's so funny watching them all back. Like. You get such nostalgia for them as a kid, and then you rewatch them, and you're like, "Oh!" But it's also interesting to sort of watch them back and sort of have a closer eye on on more of the subtext, like say rewatching the series three finale and sort of realizing that the Archangel Network it's sort of like an allegory of you know of uh, mainstream political propaganda that a lot of people fall blindly for, rather than you know focusing on the red flags that's that's around politicians mm. so yeah it is it's, it's sort of a nice mix of, of nostalgia but also having a little bit a little bit more of a critical eye that than you would have done at say age seven and whatever so yeah, yeah i felt that when i saw your um your clips come up actually the other day for the last of the time lords i was watching those clips and i was like i know this story but re-watching these clips now it just it allows you to appreciate it in a in a completely new way um the scenes you were putting up specifically where martha is telling the doctor um you know he's got a fob watch and he's like it can't be it can't be a time lord and if it is a time lord which one and he starts shouting at her i was like wow i don't remember it being this intense but it must have been well yeah exactly like I feel like as kids, we sort of naturally gravitate um, a lot more towards the, the sort of main action of the stories, which, you know, I still do as an adult. But it's sort of great sort of be able to dissect those character moments with a bit more depth, you know, with age, I think. Mm. Like, like especially with what we know about how the Time Lords actually, you know, were really, which, we, which you know, we delve more into in the end of time, really, kind of show how frightening they actually are, so... 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot to look at. And it's interesting, like you were saying about looking back on these things as an adult, because you, especially similar to me, work in the TV industry now. So I'm sure you're also getting a whole different like context for it and an understanding from behind the scenes of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is. It is a very bizarre experience, but it's all, but, but also the best. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> But yeah, for those who don't really, I don't know, know me or be following me around yeah i'm a runner in the tv industry i've mostly worked in unscripted entertainment type things so stuff like say children in need comic relief and most recently eurovision um but mm-hmm. um but yeah it is a bizarre thing because like my first paid tv job um which was um children in need just gone so yeah with the bbc yeah i, I remember i remember doing the graham norton special which is where they get a load of kids sort of sit, sit on on the Graham Norton stage while some celebrities sit in the red chair and <laughs> Adam Oaks celebrities who do we have none other than Mandit Gill of course <laughs> like, oh. which yeah like was um yeah which it, it, it was it's sort of surreal to have that on well, well what was my first paid tv job but 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 also my second um show, show, show that I worked on but yeah, like that was that was very lovely though, because because I because I had met Mandit before that point at a convention. So when I saw her again, I was like, uh, "Hey, you've actually met before. How, how are you doing?" And so like, showed that I was both together, which is very lovely. And you know, like it was a very brief conversation, but it, it, but it more of you know, like you know, like thank you for being in the show. Because obviously, by then, Power of the Dogs was recent, was recent. So I, I was just telling mm-hmm. her how amazing she was in the episode. So yeah, like Aww. that was very sweet. And then. Two weeks later, like that, like um, there were sort of murmurings in the production office for the show about a um, about some sort of secret projects, which um, which were spoken about by some of the producers. I mean, I had my suspicions of what it might be, but I didn't want to sort of read into it um, too much. But then I woke up on the Friday morning, opened Twitter, and it was like, "Meet the new Doctor Who companion tonight on Children Need," and it's, it's sort of like, oh. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and like a lot of the crew on that show is um like knew how much of a fan I was. So as soon as as soon as I got into the studio, they're like, even have you seen? Have you seen? Like, yes, of course I've seen. <laughs> but yeah, it was a very surreal thing though, because as I was saying, it was my first paid TV job and sort of being in the studio watching the um like seeing seeing the hardest there in the studio during rehearsals because yeah. they were rehearsing that day with like a stand in for for the companion. I mean, they still kept it very secretive even to the end. Like, mm. I still found out at the exact same time everyone else did. Like, apparently they brought her in under a blanket. It was, like, that wow. supercive. <laughs> did you, um, what, what did the stand-in look like? Was it even a Millie Gibson lookalike or completely different? Literally nothing like her. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think they, just, they just picked up what one of the floor teams to, to just stand in. It was, it was like some guy in his, like, 30s, 40s or something. Nice. <laughs> it is crazy how you've now been stacking up your credits and been working on so many amazing shows, but throughout so many of them, you've kind of fallen into like Doctor Who adjacent work Mm. where you've never worked on Doctor Who but you've now worked with the TARDIS and Millie Gibson and the Dalek and David Tennant and like Catherine Tate sort of the other day yeah yeah like the Dalek and David Tennant were um, another couple of surreal things like I I remember like looking at the colour sheet for the Eurovision sketch for the Comet Relief and Mm. seeing and seeing like Nicholas Briggs on the colour sheet Um, I mean be fair, like it was a pretty, it was pretty crazy cool sheet to begin with because we had like you know likes of S Club Seven, we had Fleur East, we had um, um, we we had Miranda, like um, all, all these different names there. But yeah, like it was, it was, a, it was a very fun day though. We had um, John Davy, one of the operators from the show, who was also like various aliens in the Sarah Jane Adventures and other episodes mm-hmm. of Dog Two, etc. And he he was just telling me like various stories of what it's like to work on the show. Like say in Revolution of the Daleks when they're on the Bristol um, bridge. What what's the bridge called? The oh, I'm not going to remember this bridge. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it was on the bridge in Bristol. It, it was a night shoot, and and he was showing me photos of how they they had to like um how in in between takes they had to like eat inside the, the little Dalek um. Like, oh. things. <laughs> like um which was which, which was pretty amusing to sort of see see little photos from that and yeah nick was very lovely as well it was it was very surreal kind of getting to watch him on set actually doing doing the voice um, it was Mike. obviously they could have easily added it in in postal demo but there's just there's just such an atmosphere to have, having him actually there you know 
And then, yeah, David Tennant, who, well, Sam's also worked with as well. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Colleagues to us both. I'm the only one here who's not worked with David Tennant. <laughs> one, one day, Alistair, um, we'll, we'll somehow make it happen. I hope so. We'll get his people to meet with your people. I would hope so. But yeah, like David, I, I think it was probably the the surrealist one of them all. But obviously, he was he was my he, he was my doctor really because because my first episode was actually Gridlock in series three, and I sort of carried on from there. But obviously, I, I went back and watched series one and two as well. But yeah, like it it was a, it was a very surreal thing. I mean, I'd already met him by this point at Comic Con, so when I, when I first saw him again, I sort of showed him our photo and. It, I did seem to jog his memory a bit because he he did tell the, the other runners we were with that um that they they did remember me, which is very sweet. But yeah, That's it lovely. is one of those things where you you grew up with someone all, and all of a sudden like you're you're just walking down a corridor and you're like uh, hi David, <laughs> like so so like he's your workmate, which well in this instance he kind of is. But <laughs> when I met him, for me, it genuinely felt like meeting. It's how I assume royalists feel if you met the Queen. Like I genuinely like he came into uh, the production office and he was super nice, like hey everyone, how you doing? Blah blah blah, and like my palms just went clammy <sighs> and I got very hot. And I started like shaking. And I, again, like to him, I was very like, hi, David, how are you? Like, nice to see you. You're David, all right. Like very professional, very this and that. And then he left and I just kind of was like, <sighs> having to like contain it all in. I mean, though, know, from, from, from my experience of actually being presence um, in front of royalty for Eurovision, I'd say David's had it feels more like royalty than the actual royalty did. So there we go. Wow. <laughs> There's a comment. There's another little like subtle name drop there. Like having been in front of royalty, by the way, I've also done that. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about like fandoms and being a fan of Doctor Who, so many people, like you were saying, dream of getting to meet these people. Uh, and then you and I are lucky enough that in our industry, we get to meet them at work. But as you mentioned, you've been like a frequent visitor of conventions. How have you found like going to like a Doctor Who event and suddenly being surrounded by like exclusively Doctor Who fans and cast and everything? Because I've not been to one. I've not actually been to a convention. And I'm very like excited and hoping that this will be the year that changes that. But what's your experience of that been? I feel like conventions are a little bit different to working with the cast, I think, just because when you're at work, you've sort of got to be a bit more focused on the job rather than having time to really fanboy over mm-hmm. certain people, which, I mean, well, naturally me being me, I've sort of tried to keep, keep a balance of that. But yeah, but I feel like I could mention you're, you're sort of more free to say the things that you want to say. Um, well, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously it, um, only if they're, you know, like nice things really, like, you know, you, you don't want any of that. So but yeah, like um, that's something I sort of only got into in sort of recent years. I mean, I started out more with the small conventions, like say there's the Phantom Events people. So, so like they're like a small company, uh, small signings with, it's mostly like classic, um, classic Who um, stars, but there's also some new Who ones, but it's mostly like um, say background characters or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember my first one, I met... John Leeson, the voice of K9, which is and he's very sweet. Uh oh. and um and yeah, and yeah, Casey Manning as well, who um um who who was so lovely. And I feel like um I feel like a lot of people um you know in the fandom um can agree that she's sort of like the grandma of the Dog Two fandom. Yeah. Like she um like it's just so lovely how she tries to make the time for know everyone she, she's always very active on twitter as well and um and like i've seen people sort of like bring up their you know personal problems to her and she's and she was be she's always been there sort of like a nice little comfort mm. for them um and yeah she famously gives great hugs which unfortunately i wasn't able to get the first time that i saw her because it because this was when we were edging out of, of lockdown Mm. But I did get one from her in November, which is nice. So there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's very sweet. So if you've not met her already, then please do something about it. Because honestly, you're missing out. So. <laughs> she was actually at one of the Gallifrey Cabaret events we've been talking about previously. These amazing Doctor Who drag nights. And she gave away some, I think, gifts for the raffle, the charity raffle they did mm. then. One of those gifts has now kindly been donated to me because the winner <laughs> of that gift realised that I'd probably like it more than they did. What was, what, was, what was the gift? The gift is some action figures, which include Joe Grant, the third Doctor, the Brigadier, and Katie's actually signed the box and that now lives in my room, kind of one of my most prized possessions. But yeah, start off with the, with, with the small conventions. Um, um, but yeah, the big conventions um, themselves are, are, are a very different experience. I feel like 
some of the stars do sort of get rushed along a bit more because so many more people. Whereas I think Casey Manning with the smaller ones, um, like was lovely was um, she sort of gave a bit more time for the the, the people in, in the queue because she's sort of able to like yeah you know, um, like like giving them a decent amount of time to actually have a good chat. But still though, like with the big conventions that that um that they're still great in their own right. Like even if like sometimes the the sort of handling and staffing them has been a bit mixed across some fans. Obviously, I know some of the staff could be a bit rude to um, to people wasting here or there. But I mean, that, that's yeah. a, that's a whole different conversation because I mean, that's not something I've, I've I've been personally involved in myself. So that's not really something I can really speak of really. So mm. I think recently, um, um, I've I've really been in love with how Jodie's taken on these big conventions because like. Her first one, like, she was technically still the current Doctor when, when she went. Like, you know, like, Legend of the Sea Devils and Power Doctor was still yet to air. But she, um, but you can tell how much she really cares about the show and about her her role in the show. That that that's, that the first opportunity she had to go go to one, she, she did it. Because um, <laughs> I got a photo and an autograph with her. Like, when I, when, when, I got the, when I got the autograph, like, I, I was only able to speak to her, like, very briefly. But you can really tell... How she was trying to make like every you know every second of every fan you know as precious as possible like and oh god she's such a gem. If you look at all the all all, all the photo ops that she has with all the different fans, you can you can just see her putting like like one hundred and ten percent um into the energy she brings in. Yeah, I think you always hear Doctor Who cast members saying that when they're making Doctor Who, it always feels like they're kind of working inside this little bubble for kind of like nine months to a year. And it always feels like they're making this really like intimate little show, despite kind of the huge scale of it and the budget, because they're working with this kind of very similar cast every day. They're working in Wales and this kind of like lockdown studio, sometimes on location. And it feels like when that show then gets like released to the world and they see the fan reaction, it can actually be really overwhelming because they feel like, oh my God, like suddenly this little show we were working on is like suddenly like out in the public domain and like there's this massive reaction. And the second thing is that it feels like we've been really lucky with definitely all the Doctor actors, but also I think like the key companions around them. Like we've had really nice actors take on those roles and it feels like we've had really warm people kind of steward the show forward. Hmm. Um, 100%, yeah. Like that whole small bubble thing, I think after working in this industry, yeah, I do sort of have a understanding of what that sort of feels like because like um, I'd work on something like say... Comic relief for Eurovision, and then actually watching people react to it online, it's all it's all like hold on a second, people are actually watching this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but obviously, I'm only speaking about this from a behind the scenes um, perspective, so I can only imagine what it's like sort of be the sort of like custodian um, star of the show. That say yeah. you know like like you know, like that like Jodie was, and obviously that now she's sort of beginning with um in um in the reins of his tenure and i do love how like how much respect and love for the show um he's already showing like to the point where i think there was someone who was like receiving um hate in their instagram dms based on like um one one of his posts so and i i only reached out to them sort of um comfort them which which is which is very sweet and and i feel like it sets like a good you know it sets it sets himself up as um as such such a good role model um for the role mm. and we've only and we i was still only seen like two seconds of screen time of him i just think that the show is i, I think he's going to be a great like captain to steer the ship gallifrey cabaret actually segueing into that is where i first met you and that was a great kind of fan experience for us as well that's not true ellen that's <gasps> not true it's not true I just realised it's not true. <laughs> I mean, um, we first met. I, th- I think a few days before, um, after I'd sort of, um, well, when you're handing back the stuff you borrowed from me for the mm, photo you're shoot. Right. I'm so sorry. We borrowed very kindly when we were doing the new photography for Hula La season two. Um, we borrowed Ethan's incredible cosplay collection of outfits mm-hmm. so that we could use them in our photo shoot. And while we were giving back the clothes, we we had a little pint with Ethan in uh, in East London which was super lovely and i'm so sorry that i forgot that was when we first met <laughs> but it was so close like i remember it was only a few days before gallifrey cabaret so we literally were speaking to you and we were like see you at gallifrey cabaret and that was the first time we got to properly like socially hang out in like a setting outside of a hula la thing so when we actually did 
see Ethan for a second time, Alistair, at Gallifrey yes. Cabaret. I think we'd never been to one before. We've spoken about the podcast before. And actually, this is a little, a little teasing exclusive for the listeners. As we kick off Pride Month next week, we actually have the co-hosts and founders of Gallifrey Cabaret on Hula La, so that's something to look forward to. Um, little teaser there. But I feel like that we've spoken about on the podcast so much because we loved it. It feels like we designed a night out. Like it was the perfect queer, fun event for Doctor Who. And I think that it's so interesting and I've only really noticed it as an adult that the Doctor Who fandom is so queer. Like it's so diverse. And I just can't think of many other shows that are not like a quote unquote gay show or whatever. Like that's not the point of the show, but that consistently have this queer following. I'd be interested to hear your insight into like whether you've noticed that as well or why you think that might be. Before I talk about that, um, I, I, I'm just I'm just say I mean obviously shout out to um to recent carrot for <laughs> timing the next Gallifrey Cabaret event literally days after London Pride. Like we are in for a hell of a party that month. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, answering your point, Sam. Yeah, like um. Yeah, I feel like it is something that I sort of I sort of grew to notice as time went by. Because obviously, like as a kid, you're not really sort of thinking about that stuff as much, really. But I feel like watching Russell's first era, like say stuff like say you know Jack, for instance, or say like you know Jack kissing kissing the Doctor and the Past of the Ways, that sort of thing. Like you know somehow that sort of stuff. I know it never felt. Um, it kind of felt like it was there. Like, I don't know, like, maybe I did notice it a little bit um, the first time or two, but I, but I don't know, it just sort of feel easy just to... I don't, I don't want to say shrug, um, shrug off, because shrug off just down ash. But, but you know what I mean? Sort of easy, sort of just, you know, go with mm. it and just be like, yeah, like, this is the thing. It happened. It wasn't a big deal. Like, it didn't seem like a big deal. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as a teenager, um, watching... Um, watching Torchwood because obviously I was too young to watch it when it first came out but um but yeah, watching it as a teenager one of the things I did love um in particularly with series one actually is how basically all of the main characters at some point or another do have a um a, a saving sex kiss whilst a lot of them also have established connections with you know with like opposite sex partners so it sort of um you know, shows us as an audience like um, h- um, how fluid sexuality can be, and it's uh, and it's not just fixed in one place. And I think the fact that um, that the the sexuality of the characters is rarely questioned um, was sort of very refreshing about it as well, because it it's like it just exists in this little part of the Doctor universe, really. And I feel like that sort of kind of helped me come to, come to terms with my sexuality later on. Well. Um, I say later on because obviously, well, like many many of the queer people out there, sort of spent a lot of years sort of in, in denial about it, really. So, mm, um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I feel like sort of having a bit of a bit of a, you know, having a strong queer presence in the fan base. I think yeah, um, it did sort of help me come to terms with my sexuality, and obviously, uh, I'd obviously seen that um, come into the show. You know, more recently with prominent prominent characters like. Um, like say with Bill and then Lacey Yaz. I mean, debatably with Clara, although to be honest, I wasn't the biggest fan of how it was handled with Clara because it, it felt like it was used mm-hmm. as expense for a joke. But I guess there's a little part of me that, that sort of appreciates them trying there, but even if the execution was a bit off, but yeah. The execution was a little clumsy. That's very politically correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think I prefer how they handled it in series nine and say in when they, when they first introduced her as Oswin in Asylum of the Daleks. And just like, oh, first boy, I fancy was was good, Rory. No, actually, no way. She was called Nina. I was going for a yeah. phase, and it's like, as a bisexual, like you, um, you know, uh, before figuring it out, um, you're sort of conditioned to think whatever attraction to each to to whatever gender you're feeling is just a phase, like because there there were a lot of times growing up where it's like sort of flipping in between, sort of like, um, I'm actually gay, or um, and then flips back is like, oh wait, so it's actually straight after all, and sort of like. That quotation mm. of something being a phase sort of stops you from coming to that conclusion for a while. But yeah, I feel like um, characters like, say, Bill and, well, Lacey Yaz as well, sort of really, re- um, really, like, they were, they were a very positive influence on the fandom in general. Like, there were a lot of people really seeing themselves. Because obviously, we had Jack before, um, um, which, you know, like, as a character, obviously, I'm, I'm not talking about the actor, um, as a character, like, um, um, he, he was very important to, to like, um, a lot of queer, um, queer people's, um, upbringing, um, but 
Um, he was more of an occasional companion, whereas I think having a prominent companion, like, say, Bill, for instance, um, be mm. sort of, like, out and proud from the start um, um, really helps. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, like, there, I remember a lot of people complaining about Series 10, saying how Bill brings up her sexuality in a lot of episodes. But the reality is, like, as queer people, we we don't come out once and then it's over with. Like, depending on, on you know, what situation we're in we, we we sort of find ourselves coming out you know multiple times so looking back and you know like now that i am openly queer like it does make make a lot more sense to me really so mm. it's a it's a tricky line to walk especially on a show like Doctor Two, because i feel like you want to credit them where they're trying because re- any representation is important but then i think you also need to as a showrunner when you hear comments about how things like the comments about Clara and like you were saying about New Girl get made and it they cut and they hurt in an unintentional way. I think it's really important for them to listen and adapt. And I do think that Bill was uh, their real stab at saying, okay, we're going to properly establish a queer regular character, like a regular uh, companion. And I think it was important that, that she spoke about her sexuality as much as she did. And I did hear the same criticisms that people were like, oh, she's just like the quote unquote, the lesbian, like that's her whole character. But you made a really good point where you were saying you never come out once, you're coming out all of your life. And it's something that I think that a lot of straight people don't, they, they just take for granted. They don't have to do that. They don't even think about it. So whether or not it's sometimes clumsily handled, I think it is something that the fans need to like take note of that. Okay, well, at least there are positive changes. And I think that, you know, the writing now, especially within Jodie's era was so much better. I think the way that her and Yaz's relationship was dealt so much better than like Clara's, for example, I'm assuming Yaz is a bisexual character. And I just think like you can see the leaps and bounds from like what, maybe five or so years of difference in writing. So I can only hope that going into say Russell T Davies new era, the writing for queer characters is just going to be so much more real and meaningful and true to the experiences of the queer viewers i'd really love to see russell write a you know character sort of um similar to bill like i feel like character um like bill would have fit in perfectly with his style as well but yeah going over to, over to yaz i think what's special about um Fasme, you know like whether or not you agree with the execution i think why special is the way um it's the, it's the way the fans did cut and did did sort of manifest it um from the start like um i mean i think i think magnet gill sort of um sort of admitted that even in series 11 she, she um she sort of um played it in a way that that, that sort of hinted that sort of hints the idea of it i think it's so amazing how in this instance we had had a crazy team that actually listens um to to, to the audiences and sort of gave them what they wanted i mean once again obviously like i know everyone's sort of mixed on how it, it it was handled but i just remember the sort of special feeling that sort of came on the evening that eve the Dada came out and just seeing a load of people over twitter sort of um you know feeling very seen in the moment where yaz does does confess her feelings to dan and i think what's special mm-hmm. about it is the way that there is tension in there but it's not because yaz is queer it's because she's in love with you know she's in love with the doctor who's her best friend um and obviously we know how how complicated of a person the, the doctor is and how complicated a relationship with them can be you know based on your know, previous relationships we've seen like say with you know the doctor and rose the doctor and river you know that, mm. that sort of thing so i think so, so, so i think it's sort of nice to see a queer relationship explored in a way where the tension didn't didn't come down to that it's a queer relationship. It um it's just the complex the complexity of one of the characters involved in that relationship. Really, I feel like um after Fasmin, I just I, I I just can't imagine them going back to another heteronormative relationship um for a while. Yeah. And I, and I think um I don't know what it is, but with but with Shooty's doctor, I, I um I well I mean to be fair we haven't seen him in action yet but I personally couldn't imagine him being with a woman I mean though like I mean if they did obviously because I said I'm not in a rush for it to happen I'm saying if it did have to happen then yeah I'm quite a fan of of the asexual doctor I think I've said before I quite like the doctor just sort of being a bit like almost beyond traditional human relationships and just whizzing around and almost just kind of being kind of like I don't have time for that stuff and you know like <laughs> I feel like the, the like sudden emergence of like David Tennant's doctor being such a slut was <laughs> just like <laughs> so like so from nowhere it almost felt um but 
but yeah, you know, I'm I'm open to anything. I think like, listen, I mean, that'll that'll drive a certain segment of the fan base absolutely bananas, and and all the better for it. Yeah. Off the back of that, I think that we can all agree that it looks like we're going to get amazing representation coming in from Russell Zero. We're hoping for more queer representation. We're obviously getting representation of disability. I was just going to ask you, Ethan, is there any more type of representation you would like to see in Doctor Who, be it sexuality or neurodivergence or characters from different places? What would you like to see in the upcoming series? With, you know, with Fresh Signal Zero, like... um... I did like how it did it did make strides sort of um, bring about more neurodivergent representation. I mean, again, there were some misfires, like say with Ryan, but I did love the intention behind it. And I think with Ryan, though, like the problem that I get sometimes with with the way he's criticised is like is some people say, ah, oh, he's 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 terrible at doing this, but apparently he can do this, and it's like, yeah, but that, like that's not that's not how dyspraxia works, really. Like. Um, mm. Like, you know, like, just because you're dyspractic that doesn't mean that you've got terrible coordination in literally everything. Like, there's just some things you can do naturally mm-hmm. better than others. And I think um, with the way his, um, his his story ended, which, I mean, I, I think I appreciated more on a rewatch than, say, initial watch. Um, yes, we, we still see him struggle to ride a bike, but, like, that's... Um, the point of that of that ending um, isn't that 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 he's he, he's he's supposedly able to to, to magically ride the bike by now. Like that's not that's not the point of the ending. Like I feel like the point I'm making there is like you know yes um, he's still gonna struggle with um, certain things because of his dyspraxia, but he's not gonna let that um, weigh him down. Um, I know like he's still gonna be going at what he wants to do. Which you know, like, um, which I I think is a very nice mature message um, to um, to have, and yeah, like, admittedly, I do wish they did more with the aspect of his character, but I do appreciate the intention they had with him, mm. and you know, I, I and I I did like how they ended his um, character in that kind of way. So so yeah, like going forward, I think it'd be nice if you know Russell did continues telling similar stories of that kind of thing like with the 13th doctor and also with the with the 12th doctor as well like a lot of neurodivergent fans you know myself included sort of did see similar traits in them really like um mm. like like say their occasional struggles sort of with like certain social cues funny funny innocent um little little moments like that's um um which 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 feel like um we, we can have a bit, bit of a laugh about you know because sometimes we, we do sort of mess up on some social cues or like um or or can take things things like a little bit too literally or whatever but um i think also the chaotic thought process that thirsting has like sometimes i sort of get that when i'm in in a bit of a rush about something but also like um there's instances where both the 12th and 13th doctors they sort of struggle to really formulate their emotions which i feel like um sometimes i've um i've had that in the past like sometimes the way i respond to things may not be in the same way yeah so i've i have noticed how that that those sort of things have meant a lot to certain fans and this i i have other fans who may not get it in the same way there's some scenes particularly in the first scene, doctor zero where fans have been more critical of first scenes characterization whilst other fans who are neurodivergent who see a lot of traits in her um, um will disagree and and, and give reason for why it resonates with them. But with the first Eve Doctor and also the 12th Doctor, I sort of appreciated how they sort of had their own um, insecurities that they, that they sort of had to learn to really overcome and sort of just embrace who they are, which I feel like I can sort of relate to that because, um, to put it simply, like, um, you know, growing up and going to, go to school, like, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily have the best time there because of how different I felt to the people but I think mm-hmm. growing up I sort of learned to just go with it and just you know um well as corny as it sounds just be me <laughs> like yeah. yeah yeah I'm really it makes me really happy to hear you talk about seeing positive representation on screen both for neurodivergence and also with your sexuality because I completely agree and I think that I've noticed that there are a lot of queer Doc 2 fans and a lot of neurodivergent Doc 2 fans and I think that the character of the Doctor even if they aren't necessarily like I'm not necessarily talking about their sexuality like say using 30s as an example not talking about her relationship with Diaz 
but just in the way that she carries herself and the things she does. So many people can relate to that. Uh, the way that the third Doctor is very flouncy with his frills and it's, have you tried this cheese and wine? It's delicious. It's like a lot of, it's very camp and a lot of queer people can see that and kind of, even if it, they're not being told like this is a quote unquote gay character, a lesbian character, whatever, they see aspects of themselves and that person. And it makes me really happy to hear you talk about uh, 13 and 11 and see how behavioural traits they might have someone could relate to and see aspects of themselves on screen and i and i think that it's really important to be able to see yourself on screen and it makes me happy that you relate um as a character for the doctor is how they're like always unashamedly themselves like say the 10th doctor will will sort of like go on with all the sort of like you know geeky techno jargon whilst um all his friends around him sort of like what <laughs> and then um um and then you and then you have 11 putting out all his city hats and whatever um and and they got like clara someone being like and you know, someday you'll just walk past the fez it's like nope never gonna happen never gonna happen <laughs> and um and then what else you got like the, the, the 12th doctor sort of like unashamedly you know um, um playing guitar on a tank sort of just like living his <laughs> best life that way which you know like i know fans have been mixed on in 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 the past but you know I, I've, I've sort of um grown to enjoy it and then yeah we've got the first eve doctor um who like generally has like a lot of sort of um cute little bursts of sort of like um childlike excitement like you know when the when the kablam man arrives and she's like ah it's the kablam man <laughs> <laughs> um Considering like further down in her tenure, she she sort of kind of goes through a bit more of an angsty phase. Um, it's it's sort of nice to have a bit of a balance, mm. you know, with those you know various incarnations. I think, um, and yeah, I feel like a lot of you know queer and neurodivergent people sort of naturally see themselves in them for, that, for, those, for those types of reasons. Really, like, um, mm. I know, like aside, like you know, I've, I've always sort of seen neurodivergent traits in the doctor like particularly 11 12 and 13 i think but also mm. I, yeah there is something about the, the doctor's character that does feel intrinsically queer like even before you know even before 13 like um i, I always sort of felt that in a way like maybe just out of their sort of open-mindedness and sort of um the, the way they sort of seem flexible about um all ways of life and well mm. may, well maybe also the the Maybe also the the Lamp Doctor being unafraid to just make out with Rory it was like good thinking. <laughs> Rory was shocked. Rory did not consent to that. <laughs> Rory Rory was gooped, gooped and gagged. I mean, apparently that was unscripted. Like, like apparently, apparently that was Matt's idea to do that. So I think it was. Yeah, I love it. Matt Matt Smith does seem like the kind of person that would just randomly turn to Arthur Darvel and be like, "Give me yes. a smooch. Let's kiss. Let's kiss." Off the back of that, you were saying about how. Twitter. You'd mentioned that Twitter like always has online discourse. I'd be really curious to hear your opinion on what you think of like online discourse of Doctor Who, because I think that personally, from my experience, we always kind of joke we're like Twitter is a hellhole, and then we'll be like TikTok is really fun and Instagram is this, and I think different social media platforms give off a different vibe for everything, like not just in Doctor Who, but specifically in the Doctor Who fan base, I see so many amazing things and also so many really like toxic things within online culture. Like I've met people like you like we met online and we and certainly doing the doc 2 podcast i feel like we've met so many amazing people loads of queer doc 2 fans and really sort of gotten in touch with that but you also see so much hate online specifically like towards the cast but also you see it recently towards fans and i've seen people commenting on you know people's cosplay and saying well that's not real like you shouldn't wear that because they wouldn't wear that or you shouldn't you can't wear that because you don't look good in that and i i i'm curious to hear your thoughts about why specifically within the Doc 2 fan base, online culture varies so widely between being so toxic to also such an incredible and beautiful thing. At the best of times, it can be a very positive place. Like I think especially over in lockdown, which is, is when I think I sort of started to find myself falling down that rabbit hole. The lockdown rewatches, baby. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, shout out to um, Emily Cook, by the way, if she somehow listens to this. I doubt she is. But, <laughs> but yeah, I remember meeting her actually outside the Power of the Doctor premiere, and I and I did give her a little thank you for for all his rewatches, which is very sweet about it. But yeah, I feel like um, you know lockdown. Obviously, we've gone through a lot of you know sudden change, which obviously you know different people were sort of handling that in their own different ways, like. Um, I know, like, I know some people might have seen it as, um, you know, a bit of a break from work and that, which, you know, like, um, you know, fair play. But obviously there are other people who sort of panicking, obviously their way of life had suddenly um, 
just been turned on uh, uh, on its head like you know that's that's sort of how yeah. i felt in a way like there was just a lot of uncertainty which was sort of scaring me so, so i feel like mm. Doctor Who, like it was sort of a nice little comfort sort of um um have something going on there sort of keep us going like obviously with the rewatches but also um the way that the creatives were still trying to make new content um to go mm. with rewatches like you know, all different minisodes and stuff um like you know, I loved them. Like you know, in particular, standout was the farewell Sarah Jane one. That like that felt um, very special. Sort of actually have some closure to the show in that kind of way. I cannot watch it without crying. I I cry every time I watch it. In lockdown, I was a very anxious bean um, <laughs> when that all kicked <laughs> off. My uh, like one of my full nightmare scenarios, like before COVID kicked off, was like the idea of a pandemic. When I was like 12, I was very traumatized by the show Survivors that mm. they had done as a remake where this kind of virus wipes out 97% of the population. And that was truly like my worst, worst nightmare. Like I know some people are very scared of like zombies, whatever kind of scenario it is, nuclear war. My thing was like pandemic. I was like terrifying. So when that started yeah, But it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's all fine. But when that kicked off, I was like, oh my God it's happening and like the the topsy-turviness of everything was so unsettling you know like everything kind of slowly shutting down then full lockdown then how long is this going to go on really really rattled me so the rewatches and those kind of like moments of kind of unifying things that made everyone feel a bit more together especially like during those very lonely times where we couldn't really see each other and when the initial novelty had worn off and you know the kind of zoom quizzes had started to wind down <laughs> that those things i yeah i found those really helpful my my rewatch actually wasn't doctor who at the time it was the eurovision rewatches that were being organized oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah you, you, you were speaking about that in the last episode yeah i remember yeah they 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 kind of every week would announce like this year we're going back to blank and they'd kind of someone in the comments would like find the link and there was a great one we went back to um eurovision 2004 and our uk entry was daz samson i think with <laughs> can't remember what the name of the song is but it's about like what did you learn in school it was sorry it's a trash song but i loved it back in 2004 <laughs> and so much fun to just watch along and have a camp all time like those things were great like it's not something that you can replicate outside of a pandemic i think but such fun unifying moments yeah i remember i remember jody making that video of her in the cover dress, dressing the costume sort of reassuring mm. everyone which is very sweet yeah. because oh my god that was one of the loveliest things ever because yeah going back to what we were, what we were saying how the actor playing the doctor has to sort of be that role model outside the show as well it was it, it was sort of very, very special seeing jody be, being a doctor to everyone but in it was just so sort of real life you know situation everyone is nervous about so but yeah like it, it it can be a very positive experience and i think um with you know say both jody's era but also the, the income new era with shooty like there's that there is a lot of criticism um for different reasons for both those eras i think ultimately mm -hmm. like as long as the criticism is sort of fair and you're not um telling people um yeah. that's you're dumb for, for 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 like a certain part of the show it's fine yeah but um but i think where it goes wrong is when like it feels like some fans have sort of been um diminished ju um, just for enjoying something that other people didn't um i think with dog two because there's so many different eras that have different styles different approaches and um, sometimes it has to like it, it's become a bit of a competition of like which era is more progressive which era um it, um has more consistency that sort of thing and ultimately mm. We 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 put we put it down. It is all the same show, and like um, literally, if and if we thought about it more, I feel like you know that like that there'd be a lot less conflicts. I think if I hear one more person go like Doctor Who died after two thousand seventeen, oh like I'm God. so done with it. Grow up. But yeah, it is interesting though, because obviously I've been a fan for you know sixteen years now. So obviously I know um I know a lot of people who say you know I stopped watching when David Tennant left, and then people who who say I stopped watching when Matt Smith left, and then Peter Capaldi. So yeah, like it, it's sort of like um I don't know I feel like as as a teenager like um I um it was sort of hard for me to get used to the idea that Doctor Who was no longer the same. It no longer had the same mainstream hype that it did during Russell's first era, mm. um, but I feel like um, you know, kind of as, as time's gone by, I've sort of learned to sort of trust my more you know gut opinion on 
every you know on every era myself rather than just follow the crowds but but yeah, ultimately though it, it it can be a very positive place like i sort of see um like um when some um like generally when people um have foot sort of face online hate whatever for um for 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 whatever reason um pick them up for it like um like for instance i remember so i stood outside the power of the doctor premiere and i met a lot of the um the crew of that and and also sasha duan as well um <laughs> and there was a photo of me and um um christian or basically like not too long before then I, I can't remember how but somehow i got into like an online row with some of like the with like some of the like anti jody uh, people um and then one of them sort of ends up um p- picking up that photo um of, of me and, and, and saying like this, this is, is an example of astroturfing like suggesting i was planted to um um to be be, be a fan of the show for the sake of this era or something it's like what i've been a God, fan for that is wild we're in conspiracy territory here because like they picked up this image like with like no consent from me and like used it sort of further some like you know fake point they were trying to make about me but it was it was very lovely to sort of have have the support from a lot of people in that situation because i feel like um, over, over joe's era we sort of seen those times people sort of become more vocal so we're sort of more used to um to sort of like cover each other's backs um when those sort of people sort of enter our sphere so you know like i think at the best of times it can be one of the most you know positive wholesome fandoms out there because like it does really embrace you know, it's very like the show it's, it's very all-encompassing of di- of different walks of life like there, there was something jody did say um i think maybe it was around the time she she was first cast or or, or series 11 or something she was saying how how the show is a celebration of rep- representation as an epic scale which it's interesting because it's something that's i feel like as a fan base maybe we didn't really think about so much before but i do sort of love you know like obviously um i know people um, had mixed 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 feelings on the last era but i but i do love how those sort of conversations did sort of change the way we looked at the show and the fan base itself so i feel like that's definitely one of the main positives i can pick out from um from that era of the show so for me the thing with toxic fan culture that's that's so frustrating is i think this gap between having having an opinion on a show which you adore which is of course completely valid that's why we have a whole podcast to discuss our thoughts and feelings of course (laughs) that's like something we should do and i think even expecting kind of like high standards from kind of um industry leading media right so like when people talk about kind of like the quality of marvel movies like given that those are movies that kind of block out cinemas for days or weeks at a time like i guess in a way it makes sense that people can be critical of kind of the quality of those movies i get that as well but it's that moment where you move beyond kind of this is my opinion how i feel and into i'm objectively right about this and if you disagree Mm. here's what's personally wrong with you i find that so (laughs) frustrating like the inability to recognize that um yeah like i agree there because ultimately like um you know like you know like tv is a form of art and art is subjective so you know like um i you know like you know like even if a certain form of arts is generally i uh, receive a certain way like um like i like i don't know if um if you can really say like it makes it objectively bad like obviously everyone gets different things out of you know um, whatever that they're consuming so um yeah um so you know it doesn't so it does annoy me when like um 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 when like i don't know someone will say to me oh this episode or or this series is poorly written i was like yeah like that's um like that's your opinion which is fair enough i was like no um no it is objectively um Mm -hmm. you are wrong (laughs) i i i don't appreciate attempts i think that people make in kind of the doctor who fan community to try and kind of divide people up into kind of different like little camps of kind of so-and-so stands or so-and-so defenders or whatever i'm just like listen it's a great fun show it's got a very long history it's it's impossible to try and like you know categorize fans into different kind of camps here it, it mm-hmm. all relies on change experimentation different eras i think ultimately um one of the comforting things about um 
grown up and sort of having more like more involved in the online fan bases because you know once sort of hit, hit, the, hit the teenage years and Doctor Who didn't have quite the same mainstream appeal that it has in Russell's first era like I think at school um as you get older it, it, it's all like the shows sort of become less cool I remember you know secondary school age sort of being 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 ridiculed for like um for like, for like still enjoying the Peter Capaldi era um it has been lovely sort of um find that um sort of space online as I've got older and you know like obviously sort of realizing that a lot of the fan base is actually, you know, very queer, very, very neurodivergent as well. And I think what is lovely is like um, how the character of of a doctor, as I said before, like they've always been very much sort of an outsider in a way um, that it sort of made a lot of the you know people who who felt like outsiders in society for different reasons sort of feel you know less alone and less less like that when they come together. So I think one of the beauties of the show is the way. It sort of can bring those people together, like you know, like I feel like the show has been has been responsible for quite a good portion of some of my close friendships. Really, like you know, some of my yeah. close friends who I made at uni were sort of similar to me, that kind of way, sort of you know, neurodivergent or queer or a bit of both who are into the show. And yeah, like similarly, I've sort of found um, other people sort of um, through these online spaces um, because of this, you know, you know, because of this shared passion, like you know, say say you guys for instance, so. I think that is sort of the main beauty of the Doctor Who fandom in a way. And um, yeah, I hope I've sort of given it some justice. I've not, I've not been around yes, with the back no, to you. of course you haven't. You have been, you've put things in better words than I could, would have ever done it. You've been very, very like well thought out with all your points. I think I kind of just sort of start talking and hope my brain follows with it. But you've been very Yeah, succinct. me too. Me too. Well, Ethan... I could talk to you about the Doctor Who fandom for years. I could talk to you about anything for years. Uh, but I am And af- we plan to. And I plan to. Way, we plan to. Uh, but I'm afraid we only have the one episode of Hula La uh, with you today. But thank you so much for coming on. We genuinely, I, I can't harpen enough about the fact that your perspective on these things has been so interesting and well thought out. And I, you're welcome back on the podcast whenever you want. Oh, thank you so much. Honestly, yeah. thank you so much, so much for having me. Like, um... Like I feel like there's very few people um, um, who will willingly put themselves in in, in front of me natter about Doctor Who for an hour. But um, <laughs> no, but, we um, love it. But I'm very grateful that um, that, that um, that's you guys. So there we go. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, so we're much. so grateful for your time on a Sunday as well, a day of rest, but not but for not you. for us. <laughs> <laughs> But no, Ethan, we love it. We love speaking to you always. It's always a pleasure to run into you at these events and we always love seeing your rewatches as well. I will say as well, here's a plug for Ethan's Twitter. He is continuing his Doctor Who rewatch with some fantastic analysis and clips. If you want to find him on Twitter, he's at Ethan underscore LMP. Um, I highly recommend following him if you are any kind of Doctor Who fan. Excellent, excellent content. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, it is at um, underscore Ethan underscore Luke. So there we go. There you go. Watch the follows rack up, my friend. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to another episode of Hula La. Uh, as always, we would love to keep the conversation going, particularly on an episode like this, because we want to hear what you think about the Doctor Who fandom. What do you think of online culture? What do you think of the representation on the show? You can always reach out to us on our Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, all of which are at Hula La Pod. And as always, you can rewatch old episodes of the podcast on our YouTube channel, which is also at Hula La Pod. Until next time. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. And we will see you soon. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.